Can we open up with a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for what you're saying already. We thank you, Lord, that you are moving throughout the earth. And Lord, even in these turbulent times, even when seasons are causing people to just be shaken by the things that are around us, Father, we thank you that you are a rock, Lord, in the storm. Lord, you, you help us to understand who's in charge. You help us to see, Lord, where our true anchor is. I ask you, Lord, to be with us. Open our minds and our word and give clarity today in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. I've been on a series on vision. And today I want to share something with you on how to come into your own personal vision. God wants us to have a vision for our life. Proverbs says, for without a vision, the people perish. Jerry, if you could go ahead and put that... Uh, no, not that one. Go back to the very where the bus is. There's, there we go. Where we are going. How many have ever asked that question? Where are we going? Yeah. Anybody ever asked, well, where am I going? What am I doing? Well, 80%, according to the Barna report, 80% of churchgoers today do not know their purpose. Many of them believe, well, I guess I'm to get saved and I'll join a church and but my main job is my career, raising my kids, and that's true. Those things are uh, important. But to incorporate kingdom thinking through the, the week is important. Some people think that purpose is just being connected to a church and finding some uh, role or some uh, duty in a local church. Those things are part of the plan, but God wants to give you something, something more intimate, more personal than just being connected to a local church. Local church is important because that's the family God puts you with, but he wants to give you something that comes from within that begins to motivate you to new levels in faith, amen? And he does not expect you, for you just to exist. There, there's a lot of people today, and I'm going to hit this right off the bat, there's a lot of thinking in churches today that are just... And you, if you turn Christian television on, you'll see a lot of television shows on Bible prophecy. Now, Bible prophecy isn't wrong, but Bible prophecy primarily, primarily focuses on the end times until Jesus comes. And everybody's trying to figure out if he's post-mid or mid-trib or if, wherever they're at on the map. And they're, all they're thinking about is, just Jesus, just come and rapture me out of here. And that kind of thinking is actually not even biblical. Now, we do uh, look forward to the coming of Jesus, but that was not what Jesus' plan was, is for us just to get saved and then just sit or die and wait for the rapture. That was not God's plan. God's plan is for every day of your life. While you're on earth, he has a plan for you. While you're on earth, his plan is to use you, to empower you to make a difference with the people around you and to have compassion for people. The devil also is working every day to try to breed that sense of insignificance, to make you think that you're not significant. You have no place. I even hate to say this, but even from the pulpits, we have said, preachers have said this, that don't you dare say anything, don't you prophesy, don't you talk until your life is in perfect order. 
Well, what that's done with a lot of people, parishioners in the pews is, fine, I won't do anything because I'm not called or I didn't go to Bible college, therefore it's just, it's just the preacher's responsibility. And people in the pews sit and do nothing. Now, I'm not saying everybody does that, but I'm saying a large majority of people, it's, and it's not even their fault, it's, what we, it's how we've taught people. Do you know that the work of the ministry is for you? The Bible says God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip you and to train you for the work of the ministry. You know, I, uh, years ago I went and did a job for a man who was an actual shepherd. He was a shepherd and had 2,000, maybe more than that, 2,000 sheep. And uh, he was telling me, he said, one of the things that, that's so important is that Sheep beget sheep. How many of you know that shepherds don't produce sheep? Sheep have to produce sheep. Uh, a lot of people, are, well, pastor, we're, we're waiting on you. No, no, it's, it's the, we're, we're equipping you to reproduce. You, you are to reproduce what you are. Now, one of the things that's so important when it comes to vision, I need to come to appreciate who I am. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I like me. <laughs> now, the Apostle Paul said this, that no man, no man can truly love his wife until he first loves himself. You, if you have no proper healthy appreciation for who you are, if you don't like you, you will not share Christ. Because what you're really saying is, I, I, I don't really see what God's done in, in me. I see a lot of problems in me, so what do I have to share? And the devil in hell says, yes, keep you quiet. But see, once you get turned on, and you become grateful and thankful for what God has made you, how he has made you, you become, you like you. You have to like you. You have to come to like the fact that you're a male or a female or you're a different skin color. Or not. You need to come to appreciate that there's no one in the world like you. You are special to him. You may think, well, what in the world does that have to do with vision? Everything. Because if you cannot come to appreciate who you are and like you, you've got to like you because he loves you. You know, it's amazing how the Bible tells us that he knows the hairs on our head. He knows when we rise, when we sit down. He knows when we take the wings of the morning. He knows our decision. He knows the plans of man. What am I doing? Oh, put the tracker in my, boy, that's, thank you guys. I got to get the tracker in my wallet, pocket. And so one of the first things with vision, I've got to come, and this is the beauty and the power of the blood of Jesus, is I come to appreciate what he's done in me and what he's done for me. And even all of my mistakes, he takes it and builds a testimony so grace can flow out. See, God's grace brings ministers life to people because you have walked through some form of a season of death. If you've ever gone through a season where you've lost something, it's because God is going to entrust you with something to give out to others. 
Every time I've lost something, every time I've gone through a crisis, I didn't like it. But God says, Ray, my grace is sufficient. And I said, why is it sufficient? Because through your death, through your disappointments, through your failures, you will now be able to understand, have compassion, and empower others. Through your death, it's going to bring life to others. Now, I would have never chosen certain directions had I known that. But, but see, I've talked to people that, it's, it's unfortunate, I remember years ago when the church I used to belong to, our home church, if you were divorced, you could not be used in any ministry. I remember if, if you were divorced, if you had the big D on your forehead, divorced, you could not be used. I remember that. Only people who had their marriages together and held it together. But here's the thing. The people that, were, that, that had their marriages together couldn't seem to minister to broken people. I'm not suggesting that you have to get broken to minister to the broken, because I know it's only through the power of the... Is it, okay, am I doing something wrong here? Oh, I am not doing very well up here. Sorry, guys. But, but, I, but I remember when our pastor began to make some trends, and we begin to realize that God can take broken, weak vessels, and someone came into our church and began to minister how that all of the, all of the 12 disciples were broken men. These guys weren't together. All of them were full of fear. They were full of cowards. I had one woman say, man, Pastor Ray, if God was so good and so equal, and, and why didn't he at least have six women and six men in the 12? I said, it's a good question. But if you really want to know it, look at 1 Corinthians 1. And I said, one of the reasons I think God chose 12 men is because the men needed the close contact more than the women. If you really follow the, the lives of the women that followed Jesus, they actually were more, were more astute and more on the ball than the guys. I'm not trying to say that men are stupid, but for some reason, <laughs> it's amazing how God will choose the weak and let them lead, and the women that may know and have that kind of internal radar, they're under the man. Yeah. It's his, he did it. But it's not, to say, it's not to say, well, God chose men because they're smarter, wiser, and stronger. No, that's not the reason. The Bible says God has chosen the weak and the foolish things to confound the wisdom of men. And so, you know, I'm not up here as a pastor because I'm better or stronger than you. No, God chose me because I'm a weak man. I'm a broken man. But I'm here by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's out of my weaknesses or disappointments and the testimonies of my own failure that helps me to empower you to live a resurrected life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so we need to really take a fresh look at vision. When we come to understand vision, do not disqualify yourself because of some failure or some problem or what someone has said, you need to rise up and say, what God says about me stands. Because if you don't have a healthy image of you and you don't, if you can't get to the point where you begin to say, Father, thank you for making me, me. Thank you for the testimony. Lord, thank you even for the tragedies and the turbulence 
And even though I might have come out of homes that were broken, I might have been abused and misused. Lord, out of all that mess, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And I believe that what God begins to do is take what Satan meant for evil, he turns it around, gives you a testimony, and rises you, raises you to be a prince and a champion and uses you as an image and demonstration of his grace to others. I want you to say this. I like me. I know that. Ray, are you, are you just kind of getting self-centered here? No. I don't like me for who I am. The Bible says that, and Paul says this, he says that we have this, we have this treasure in broken vessels. It's the treasure, it's, it's the glory in the broken vessel that makes the vessel special. We're all broken, but it's his glory that transforms, it's his glory in us that makes us like us because it's not us, it's him in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So my hope is not in Ray, it's, it's what Christ is in me that makes me powerful. I want you to say this, I know this is contrary to your thinking, I want you to say, I am powerful. I'm attractive. Oh, come on. I'm not talking about your looks. I'm talking about there's something about you that attracts people. You draw people. See, vision, the vision that God wants to give you. I, I, God wants to lift your vision where you begin to walk with a sense of confidence. It's not about you. It's Christ in you. There's something in you that's greater. Greater is he who's within me than, than he that's in the world. There's something more powerful. You attract. Now, by the way, you're also going to create, because of the confidence and because of the blood of Jesus, there's going to be times where you will bring conviction on people. I, I remember, I've, this has happened within a couple of weeks. I've been around a person, this one person, he was a young man, he says, you make me uncomfortable. And I said, well, why is it? He says, well, you, just, you just seem to think you know what you're doing. I said, I do. I know exactly what I do. I know where I'm going. Because it's not about me. I'm not trying to be arrogant. But I want you to know you can have confidence. When you begin to have confidence, you begin to war a good warfare. No weapon formed against you prosper. You don't have to be seduced by the lies of the thoughts and the imaginations. Think that you, 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 you no longer think like a victim. Well, I need pills. I need drugs. I need booze to relax me. Just kind of put me at peace because I can't handle it. You don't no longer need that stuff. Because there's something powerful that's the presence, it's the glory, it's the spirit of God inside of you that raises you up in resurrection power. Your image, your life, your decisions, your, your values, your core value changes. You're powerful. You're not weak. You know, God has been speaking to me, says, Ray, I want you to live, walk, think like a champion. Do you live like that? Victims go around, no, I, I can't. I can't go a day without a bottle. I got out of the bottle, man. No, no, you don't need the bottle. It's a lie. I'm not talking about water either. There's people today, Christians, they got to have something just 
that just sedate. I need sedation. No, it's a lie from the pit of hell. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, you can use food. Food can be a way to sedate you. But I, I want to, if we can go to the next slide here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God has to change your heart. And he says, when your heart is changed, you're blessed. Blessed. Everyone say blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. And we're not talking about seeing through your mind's eye or through your eyes. He's talking about seeing life through the eyes of your heart that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. How do you know if you're pure? Number one, one of the ways you know you're pure is because your thoughts are the thoughts of him. My mind, my desires are in tune with him. Now, Ray, Ray, do you ever, do you ever kind of get into the flesh? Do you ever lose your temper? Yes. Ray Galligan has gotten out of the spirit probably every week. I get out of the spirit. I can, for seconds, in seconds, I can go into the flesh. I can think wrong thoughts. But you know what the Bible says? When the righteous falls, he gets up. He repents. I'm not t trying to suggest that Ray Galligan is this image of perfection. I have not arrived. But I want you to know that the Holy Spirit in me, because I'm sealed, will not allow me to stay there. He quickens me. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, it will quicken your mortal bodies. And all of a sudden, you begin to walk in a pure light. You want to walk with transparency. You want to walk with integrity. You want to walk with accountability. There's a desire to be transparent, open. I want to be pure. And it's, it's not because of earning it, working for it. I, I want you to see something and go to the next slide. If we need to, the three laws, we talked about the law of attraction, the law of agreement with focus last week, and the law of expectation. These things are laws. In scripture, the law. When we talk about a law, we're speaking about something that has to do with an absolute. The law of attraction has to do with no vision can happen by force or by fear. You must be attracted. And so the Lord comes as the spirit of grace to attract you, to draw you to himself. Amen. We've got a cell phone going. Next, next slide, if we can go there. I want you to see something. The apostle Paul says this here. The apostle Paul says this. I want to start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. These were several churches. Galatia was a region. About seven or eight churches that Paul's writing to here. And he says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and of our Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us. Everyone say, deliver us. Not just forgive us. The purpose of grace was to deliver us. Not just to forgive us. A lot of people say, I'm so glad that Jesus forgave me. Amen. He did not just come to forgive you. He came to deliver you. I want you to hear me on that. 
This is this grace message going around. Yeah, I'm just so glad that Jesus loves me as I am, and he just forgives me, but I'm still living with my problems. No, he, called, he died to deliver you. We've got to rise up as a church. And, and this is what he says to the church, because there was mixture. They were in a culture of immorality. They were in a culture of drugs. They were in a culture of sorcery. And it was being accepted into the churches. But the biggest problem here in Galatia was legalism. And Paul here goes, if we could hit the cell phone there, it would be great if we could kill that. Thank you. To deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God, of will of our God and Father to whom be glory and forever. But he says, but I marvel. This is Paul. I marvel that you turn, that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to, him, to you, let him be accursed. That's a pretty strong language. He says, if anybody comes and does not preach the gospel of grace in the true context of the message, let him be accursed. The problem here, there were, there were Judaizers that believed in Jesus. Listen to me about this book. There were Judaizers that believed that Jesus' work on the cross was a great thing and that you were a believer, but they actually also added this, that the cross is not adequate enough. If there are Gentiles, because the region of Galatia was Gentiles. They were not Jews. They were Gentiles. These were unbelieving, uh, different cultures, different group of people. And there were Judaizers that was following the Apostle Paul's work, and they would come behind Paul, and they would distort what Paul had said. The gospel was intended to be simple. Something to be palatable, something that was to be accepted and received freely to all men. But these Judaizers said, listen, if you're really going to be saved, what Jesus did on the cross was great, but you also need to be circumcised to be a true believer. And Paul comes back and says, listen, guys, these guys are adding to the message and they should be accursed. Don't listen to it. It's not by works but by his grace. Now listen to what Paul says. When, when it comes to vision, I want you to go to the next deal if you can. There are two things moving into your God-given vision. We need a personal encounter with Jesus. I want to tell you how you move into your personal vision. As Paul here is stating to these people. And let me tell you right now. A personal encounter with Jesus is going to do three simple things. There's more than that, but number one, it's going to stop you where you're at. A personal encounter stops you. You don't continue to live in sin. It stops you. Because there's an, Paul uses the word, strong word in the book of Philippians. He says, that for that which I have been apprehended. It literally means to be arrested or tackled. When the Apostle Paul encountered the Lord, it stopped him in his tracks. He didn't continue going down the road of religious activity, but it stops you. Secondly, it resets your life. An encounter with Jesus will begin. It's like pushing the reset button. 
all of a sudden my vision changes. I begin to think about my core values. I begin to think about my habits and what am I doing? Where am I going? Who are the people? I'm, what? Let me tell you, there's two things for any vision. You need to have an encounter and you need to be around the right people. If you are not around the right people, well, Pastor Roy, what do you mean? Am I supposed to go around judging people and writing other people? No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you getting around spiritual fathers and mothers that are going to help you come into that new understanding from orphans to sons and daughters. You have to, now Paul talks about two revelations in the book of Galatians. The first one was the encounter that he has with the Lord, and I want you to hear what he says, starting in verse 11. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached by me, not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries in my own nation, being more zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me, notice what it says, it pleased God. I want everybody to say, I please God. It pleased God to separate me. Do you see yourself as a God pleaser? Do you see yourself as one who's, God, it was pleasing to God for you to get saved. It pleases, if it pleased him who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach to him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Here's the right reason. The apostle Paul realized that when he was stopped, when you encounter the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came upon Paul and he, he saw the grace of God, the heavens being opened up, the Bible says scales were on his eyes for the days, and he walked as a blind man. It was because the grace of God began to sear his conscience. It began to reset his life. And the, one of the first things he realized is I've been following the wrong crowd. He didn't confer with flesh and blood because Paul in his conversion didn't know who to trust. Damascus Ananias, in Acts 9, Ananias was the first believer, brave man, takes him into his house, lays hands on him, and he gets healed. The first words out of Ananias' mouth to the apostle Paul, he says, you have been chosen by God. And God is going to show you and use you, take you to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and how many things you must suffer for his namesake. I want you to understand something here when it comes to vision. Sometimes when God begins to stop you, you might walk through some darkness. Vision might start by when you begin to realize you cannot trust in the things that you thought you understood before. The things that you thought you knew, the things that you thought were right are all wrong. That is not a bad place. Because now God is resetting your entire life. A problem with a lot of people, I want to tell you something about my own life. I remember years ago, I was raised in the church myself. I didn't have an Apostle Paul encounter like that. I was raised in the church, and one of the problems, and I'm not saying this applies to every person, but being raised in the church, I come to learn cliches. 
I come to learn how, I learn how to behave as a Christian without really being changed in my heart. That was my problem growing up in the church. I used to brag, oh, I didn't do drugs, I didn't do alcohol, I didn't have sex, I didn't do that. I used to think, well, praise God, I'm just a, God, I'm saved because I'm such a good guy. Well, guess what? God began to show me later on in my life really what I was about. And I'm saying, you know, I was, I didn't have a, like the Apostle Paul, and he was transformed or things begin to work in his life. But his, his vision, the first thing about vision is where God begins to bring you to a place where you're ready to surrender everything you think you know. And you lay it down. Say, okay, God, I can't confer with flesh and blood because even the people that I look... This guy, by the way, the Apostle Paul, he understood submission to authority. He understood the chain of command. He understood authority, but he realized he was going the wrong direction. And one of the most difficult things when it comes to building vision, sometimes God has to push the reset button. He brings us to the end of ourselves, and he brings us to the point where we say, okay, Lord, everything that I thought I know, I lay it down. That's critical. But at the same time, God is expressing and affirming the Apostle Paul and letting him know, how important he is, and what God's plan is for his life. But he had to surrender. So this is the first revelation. But I want you to jump down to chapter 2. Jump down to chapter 2, because now we have the second time the word revelation is used. And listen to what the apostle... By the way, from the time of his conversion to the time of chapter 2 in Galatians, 17 years have transpired. Paul went into the wilderness, then he went down to the wilderness of Paran, and then he finally went up to see Peter... After three years, but then for 15 years, or was it 15 or 13? 14 years later, he goes now up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and he takes Titus. Now notice what it says in verse 2. I went up by revelation. This is the second revelation he gets. And communicated to them the gospel which I preached to the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Wow. Paul gets the first revelation through Jesus. The second revelation is this. I need accountability. I need spiritual fathers in my life. I need to go up to Jerusalem and talk to those who have reputation, who went before me to make sure I'm on the right track. God does not bless lone rangers. Won't happen. The apostle Paul makes it very clear. Notice down at verse 9. So he comes up there and he says, And when James, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they, and they to... To the and to the circumcised. What he was saying here is this. I received a revelation from the Lord and I needed their endorsement. One of the things, I, Carol and I have been so blessed to have spiritual fathers and mothers in our life. And not, I'm not talking short term. I'm talking about 30, 40, 50 years. I'll never forget uh, one pastor, one of my first leaders in my life, he came to me, he says, Ray, I'm going to talk to you. He flew me up to Vancouver, Canada. He said, Ray, where are you going? What are you doing with your life? And I said, well, I'm, I'm serving God. You know, I'm serving God the best I know how. I said, and I said, where are you going? 
What are you doing? And I couldn't answer. But here's what he did. This is what a spiritual father does. He just didn't ask me the question. Fathers call out. They bring out things that you don't see in yourself. Fathers call out. They begin to call. The Bible says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will. What is that? They are declaring a message by the spirit of, what do they prophesy? They're calling out, they're declaring vision. They're calling a future. They're calling out purpose in the lives of other people. Pastor Les Pritchard began to call out in my life, said, Ray, God has called you to shepherd, to be a prophet, and your feet will land on the feet of many nations. I wasn't even thinking of that, but yet this man of God began to call it. Why? Because I had a relationship with him. My pastor, Brother Dick, I remember one time Pastor Iverson called me and said, Ray, God has called you to shepherd the flock. Another man, Barry White. These are men I've known 30, 40, 50 years. Some of them are alive, some of them are not. Pastor Barry White called me out one day. I was coming down to the mic and prophesying during Sunday. He called me and says, Ray, God has a, there's a mantle to be prophetic on your life. I said, how do you know that? He says, it's there. I said, are you sure? I'll never forget the first time he called me to go with him to a prophetic assembly to another church. He says, we, we used to call them in our old church major prophets and minor prophets. I was part of the minor prophets. I was a, I was a, I was a prophet in training. But I'll never forget, we were standing down over a couple, ministering prophetically over this couple, and Barry's fingers, he does this, Ray, come here. Me? Yeah. So I come up, he says, you got a word for this couple. I said, no, I don't. He says, prophesy. What? I'm not kidding. I'm standing there in front of a church crowd. He says, prophesy. You, you got the word. You may say, well, why would he do such a thing? Because fathers call out what they see. I didn't know that at the time. All of a sudden, I looked at this couple for about five seconds, and I just said, well, God is calling you into a kingdom opportunity and business and this and that. I remember ministering over this guy. And his wife looked at her, the wife looked at her husband, and she later told me, she says, did anybody talk to you about us? I said, no, first time I ever prophesied. It had to do with his business. But yet Barry, this spiritual father in my life, who I had a relationship with, you cannot have a vision without an encounter and without spiritual fathers in your life to direct and to complement and to correct and to empower and to impart in your life. It won't happen. Not a whole lot of amens there. I have to have spiritual fathers and mothers. Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers, no fathers. Do you know what Jesus was doing with the 12 disciples as well as the women? They weren't just having a kumbaya moment. Jesus was being a father to those disciples. He was fathering them. He was calling out what, was, what, the God, what God was going to do in their life. We need that. We need fathers. We need spiritual leaders, not just coming up preaching a little sermon. That's for Christmas. We're not here just to bless you. We're here to call out the divine call and purpose that God has for your life. To give you a vision. You may say, well then, wow, are you saying that, Pastor Ray, when you say something over me, it's not just you, it's actually the Spirit of God? Yes. 
I didn't know that I was a prophet. I didn't know I had a pastor's heart until spiritual fathers called it out. But they didn't just call it out and prophesy. They begin to train. They begin to work. They begin to rebuke. They begin to sit on me. They begin to release me. They begin to encourage me. I am all about getting... How many of you know you can't make it anywhere without being on the team? Now, I'm going to close right now because I, I, my time is gone. But I, I want you to go to the next one. If we, Okay, I, oh, I got it. There it is. Spiritual fathers. Spiritual fathers call out what we don't see, empowers confidence to take vision to new levels. Fathers and mother, so important, bring balance. There's so many people that are into what I call spiritual extremes. Fathers keep us in balance. How many of you have ever seen churches into extremes? Weirdness, some even weirdness. I've even had people come to our church and say, man, we went to this last church and man, they were just into this one theme of their, their whole message was just on one theme. It might even be a biblical theme, but we need to bring balance. Do you hear what I'm saying here? When you have balance, you have healthy churches. God's not interested in just building numbers. He wants, he wants us to reach the masses, but he wants his people healthy. So I'm going to talk a little more. Well, I won't, not next week, but the following. I'm going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit when it, when it comes to vision. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to close right now. How many of you learned something today, amen, about vision? We need that encounter because encounter is what heals us. But then he places the solitary in fathers in families so that we are fathered so that we are mentored, and so we grow into the image of Christ. I cannot make it. I cannot make it alone. There's a lot of people that, well, I heard from God. Was there any kind of fathers involved? Listen to me. Yeah, but I heard from God. God, God speaks to you, amen, but out of the mouth of two or three. And the two or three God wants to place in your life are people you're accountable to. Well, yeah, but I just don't like them because I think they're going to try to hold me in their church. That's sad. If, and I understand there are leaders that are like that. But true father, let me tell you what a true father, a true father endorses sons and daughters to go farther than they are. Amen. True sons and daughters don't hold on to their kids. They release them. Amen. But they also release them at the right time. There's a timing. I understand there's immature pastors and leaders that just told, you can't leave. If you do, you're missing God. That's, that's, that's been told some people, and it's tragic. That's not a father. They're actually a hireling. I want you to place your hand over your heart, because I want to go back to Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, my heart's filled with confusion. I'm filled with maybe sin. My heart's filled with anger. Maybe there's some things in my life that I won't surrender, I won't let go. And the Bible says until we get pure in heart, we surrender that, I can't see. I can't see where I'm going. Les Pritchard helped me to understand I had some anger. I had unforgiveness in my heart, serious unforgiveness. 
He brought that out. I didn't even know it. Spiritual dad in my life. He said, Ray, let it go. Let go of the anger. Let go of the rejection. Let go of the hate. I had hatred. The Lord said, "Let, let it go. Through a spiritual father in my life. Thank God he spoke truth to me. I am so blessed to have spiritual fathers. That's how sons rise to be strong. Sons and daughters, we need that accountability in our life. Father, we thank you today that you're the good shepherd. He said to Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father, I pray today that we would see you. We will not forget, Lord, that it's, it's not about just rules. It's not about just coming and changing behavior. It's not about just attending a church. It's all about relationship. It's about you, Lord. It's because when you are in us, that life and strength, motivation comes from where we are and who we are rather than what we do. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would cleanse and purify our hearts. We surrender things that we don't see, things that we do see. Lord, we yield control, all of it. Take it all. I, I want everyone to say this, take it all. Just, just I say it again, take it all, Lord. Just take it all so we can see God. Just take it all. We, we release the control of things that we hang on to. We just release it so we can see God in our lives. We want to see Jesus. Vision starts with a pure heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said?